you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14, that's where we're going to be. If you've got the sermon notes there, you're going to see, I think it's up here, yeah, 1 through 4, 9, 16, 17. We're not going to read all those today. We're going to focus on verse 17. Uh, we're going to finish up the series that we've been working through, the kind of a mini-series within the series on the Minor Prophets, Jesus seen in Zechariah. Jesus seen in Zechariah. We've talked about five ways, and today we're going to finish the six ways we see Jesus in this book. Again, borrowing from, from Warren Wearsby's breakdown, we've already seen him as the shoot, the stone, the soon-coming king, the shepherd sold for silver, and the struck shepherd. And then today, we're going to spend the entire sermon time working on one topic, and that is the sovereignty we see in Jesus. Jesus is seen in Zechariah as the sovereign. Now, some of you feel like this is a broken record. I get that, and, and I apologize if that's the case. But I, I'm going to harp on the sovereignty of God. I'm going to harp on the fact that Jesus is sovereign. I'm going to say it over and over and over again because I never get tired of that recognition of who he is. And, and I think whether you believe it or not or whether you realize it or not, I think we desperately need that. Uh, let, me, let me ask this question, kind of a poll the audience thing. I want you to participate. Baptists stink at this, so y'all get out of your comfort zone a little bit. How many of you feel like right now you are just inundated with, with pressure from every direction to pay attention to other stuff? Again, if you watch the 24-hour news stuff, it's breaking news. Like, dude, you just broke this seven segments ago. And if I flipped over to the other channel, they would be breaking the same thing. It happened yesterday. It ain't breaking. Breaking is like, I just heard it in my ear that it's happening. We see all these headlines. By the way, if there's a storm anywhere in the country, millions in the path. I mean, you think it's Armageddon. It's a storm, man. It's been raining like since Noah's days. It's been like it's rain. It's, it's going to storm. But, but everything is like hype now. We've got to get this hype. You've got to get your attention. We've got we to make you worry about something. Uh, most of government's function today, I think, is to scare people so that you think that government is the only way you're ever going to survive. We've got to have more government so we'll make it. Everything is screaming at you to get your attention, screaming at you for you to focus your energy on it. Can I just give you a little free piece of advice? Ignore all of that. I'm not saying don't think about it at all. I'm saying don't focus on it. Focus on the fact... <laughs> that if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, it's going to be okay. Okay, a tornado got me. All right, I'm in heaven. When? The government collapsed, the economy crumbled, and I starved to death, and somebody ate me. By the way, I hope that doesn't happen to anybody because I'm going to be tough. Like, I'm not going to be one of that, like, you know, that really, like, never mind. That's gross. <laughs> Part of this is when, when, if things do collapse and we're still around, I want y'all to be thinking about that. Y'all look at me, don't be like, mm, a little butter, a little chives. I want y'all to look at me and go, hey, I'm going to be tough. But here, here's the thing. Everything is clamoring for attention, and that's the time we most need to fix our eyes on Christ. Times of illness, times of struggle, times of depression, times of doubt, times of sorrow and loss, fix our eyes upon Jesus. So, so 
my goal today is not to beat a dead horse. My goal today is to just talk about what I feel like is the most important aspect of God's character. We, we could talk all about other parts of his character, and those are great, but I just want to tell you that without his sovereignty, I'm convinced that all those other things wouldn't matter. So if you would, I really want you to help me today. I want, I want you to participate in this sermon, because if we're going to... I really, I told the first service, I realized about halfway through the message, I'm like, I'm basically being a chain reference Bible in a pulpit in this sermon. I'm just, I'm plucked, man, I, we're, if you don't have a note sheet and you're not quick on reading and writing down the, the verses, grab a note sheet on your way out. Spend some time, go back and look at some of these verses we're going to read today because I want you to understand what it is when we say that our God is sovereign, what it is when we say that we can trust our future to a sovereign Lord and Savior. His name is Jesus. I want you to let that I want you to marinate your minds and your souls in the sovereignty of God today. And to do that without you getting bored of being tired of me reading scriptures, you're going to have to help. So let's pray together. And I want you to pray that God would use this sermon, not me, ignore me, but listen to the verses, listen to the truth of God's word and be reminded that we serve a sovereign God. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we're going to spend all over your word. And God, I pray that it would get all over us. I pray, God, you would speak clearly through your word, that you would move me and my limitations and my frailty out of the way. And I pray, oh God, that your spirit would speak and it would resonate in the hearts and minds of each person here today. If there's one without Christ, I pray they would see him for who he is today and repent of their sins and trust him. If there's some whose faith has grown stale or cold, God, I pray you would rekindle a fire in us today. God, you are worthy, you are holy, you are sovereign. Let us see you for that today, and we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is seen as the sovereign, and I want to emphasize the word the there. Sovereign means having absolute authority and rule. Having absolute authority and rule. Now, uh, we live, we, we exist in America in, as part of a constitutional republic. Uh, when you hear these politicians talking about save our democracy, I don't know what they're talking about. We're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. It's like none of these people in the news or in politics went through like eighth grade uh, civics and, and government. We are a constitutional republic. That's why we have such a difficulty in understanding what sovereign means. But we're going to talk later about despots. Uh, really cool from Acts 4. I'm, I, I, spoiler alert, I can't wait to get there, so I'm, <laughs> But, but like we, we think of sovereign and we think of you know, some king that sat on some throne and ruled some nation. And yeah, there may be people even today that are sovereign in their little sphere, but they are not the sovereign. Uh, as bad, bad Leroy Brown once found out, no matter how bad you are, there's always somebody badder. There's always some cat waiting around a corner. Troy's a big old boy, but I tell you, Troy's going to run into somebody who's going to be a little bit bigger than Troy. I don't know about Marshall. He may be, I don't know. Marshall's a, Marshall's a big, imposing figure, but, but there's always somebody badder, and that's what these, these dictators that we see across these third world countries don't, reckon, don't recognize, don't realize. Uh, we have people who can come in and take everything that they have, so they are not the sovereign. They are, I would say, lowercase s sovereign. They're sovereign over their little uh, kingdom, but they're not the sovereign that we're going to talk about today. So as we break down how we see Jesus as sovereign and what his sovereignty means, 
I'm going to basically give you six aspects of his sovereignty. Now, we're going to go all over Scripture to see it. We're going to try to pull it in from one verse, which is Zechariah 14, 17. And that says, Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of armies, rain will not fall on them. You see, the first one we want to look at, A, Jesus is the king and the Lord of armies. So the first aspect of his sovereignty is his kingship. That word in the Hebrew there that we read in, in Zechariah 14, 17 is melech. That is king in Hebrew, melech. The, the Greek uh, co- equivalent would be basileus. And we see that in 1 Timothy 1, 17, the literal definition of basileus is sovereign. But we most often see it translated into English as King, let me give you an example. Again, 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king, Basileus, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hebrew, Melech. Greek, Basileus. In both languages, what we need to understand is he is the supreme king and he is the, lo- of the, Lord, uh, the Lord of armies. Uh, Lord of armies is Yehovah Savah. Yehovah Savah, it means he is in charge of heaven's army. He is in control. He is sovereign over all of the armies of heaven. We read in scripture, we, th- we think about the legions of angels. Think, just think billions and billions, just a whole bunch of them. And, and they all respond to him. He is the Lord. He is the commander. He is the ruler of all of heaven's army. And by the way, it is the only army that is undefeated. And it is the army that one day will set everything right. We read in Joshua about the story of Jericho, and that's one that we all know and we all remember, and we all like to tell that story of, you know, my favorite is the, Jer- the uh, uh, VeggieTales version. Josh fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Come on, Jericho. Some of y'all lie. You, you know you know that song. But here's an interesting little thing that we see in, in Joshua 5. Right before we get into Jericho, we see Joshua walking along, and he comes upon this figure, this, this person. And he's this imposing figure, and he's got a sword in his hand. And in Joshua 5, 13, he sees this man, and Joshua approaches him, and, and he asks what really would be all of our question, are you for us or for our enemies? You see, Joshua knows that they're about to go against this huge fortified city of Jericho, very very robust in its defenses. And so he's in his own flesh. He's thinking, man, this is a tough hill to climb. And so he's walking along. He sees this guy and he's like, hey, this guy's obviously important and powerful. And so he says, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? That's, you know, are you for us or are you against us? And that's what he wants to know. And so he asked that question. Now, this is a very important thing that he replies here. Look at verse 14, Joshua 5. He says, neither. Now, I've always heard you're either for us or against us. But here's the little caveat. He says, neither. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Here's a reminder. The Lord's army doesn't pick sides. It fully submits to the king. God is not on your side unless you are on his side. Heaven's armies are not going to come fight for you in whatever uh, battle that you decide to wage. The, The armies of heaven respond to the Lord of armies. It responds to the king. There is no allegiance other than allegiance to the king. 
We do not get to get that army on our side. We must get on the side of the Lord and trust the Lord to use his army to fight for his purposes, and we got to get in line with that. That's what's important about us, understanding when we see Jesus as the king and the Lord of armies, he is the Lord of heaven's army, and that army fights for him alone. It responds to him alone. It, it, It goes to battle for him alone. Make sure that you're on the right side. Secondly, B, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Isaiah 40, 23, it says, He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. That's how how big he is. That's how powerful he is. That is what sovereign really looks like. Think of the most powerful king that has ever lived. Think of the most powerful dictator that has ever been. He responds by kneeling to Jesus. He's not a king, he's the king. You may know a king. You may have read stories about kings in the past. He sits above them. There are powerful people that are are known as Lord. They have uh, wealth and and family lineage. It goes all the way back to whenever the the first time that they were a country. And so they they are pampered and pomp and circumstance followed them. They are Lord. And yet they would bow down on their face before Jesus because he is the supreme. He is the Lord of lords. In Daniel 7, Daniel sees this vision and he sees the, the ancient of days and, and he's being escorted before him. And in verse 14 of Daniel 7, it says, He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. Who? Everybody. Every people, nation, and language. There is not one human being that has lived or will live that will not bow down and serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? It says, it goes on to say in verse 14, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. See, America is the land of the free, the home of the brave, but only for a time. And by the way, if you read some some history about uh, nations and the birth and lifespan of nations, we're, we're ahead of the curve on where we should be, and we're probably looking over the edge of that hill. I mean, I ain't saying we're over the hill, but we got a really good view of the low-lying areas from where we are. And one day, if the Lord tarries, this thing is going to go in the ditch, just like every nation before it. His is different. His is an everlasting kingdom. It is a dominion that cannot be tampered with. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be destroyed. That's how sovereign he is. We've talked a lot about the Old Testament. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6. Paul, writing to Timothy, in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 6, says, talking about Jesus, he says, He is the blessed and only sovereign, blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Remember that Moses, when he went up on the mountain, he didn't see God. He saw basically the the, the wake of where God had just been. He saw as God passed by, God put him in the cleft of the rock and he allowed him to see where he passed by. The glory of God was so awesome just in watching where God had passed by that when he went down from the mountain, they had to cover his face with a veil because it reflected that glory so much that people couldn't even stand to talk to him. It was so bright. That's who Christ is. One more on this. In Revelation 19, 16, John, in his vision of Jesus, 
in the end times, he says in verse 16 of Revelation 19, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. What name is that? King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I just tell you, he has been the king of kings, Mike. He is the king of kings. And John, he will be the king of kings for all eternity. That's what sovereign is. The third thing, C, Jesus is preexistent and preeminent. Preexistent and preeminent. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, one of my favorite passages, says he is the image of the invisible God. And he says he is the firstborn over all creation. That word in the Greek is prototaskos. Prototaskos. And it means of or designated the son first in order of birth, especially with all the rights and privileges that accompany being the firstborn. Remember, in the ancient Near East, there was a culture where the firstborn was the most important. The firstborn was the, the heir. If the firstborn would get most of the inheritance, the other children would get whatever was left. He is saying that Christ is the uh, prototaskos, the prototype, if you will. He is the representation of God. He is firstborn over all things. Verse 16, for everything was created by him. That's going to be we're going to read another passage that's going to make that sound really familiar. In heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all. That word, those two words are pro-pos in the Greek. Pro meaning before, pos meaning everything, all, all of it. He is before anything. He is before everything. He is pre-existent. Jesus said in, in, in John 8, 58, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. He took all of the mystery out of it. He said he was God. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. Why? Because he was before all. He was propos. Before Jesse, the root of Jesse was also the branch of Jesse. That's who he is because he is sovereign. And then it says, not only is he before all things, he says, by, all, by him all things hold together. That word synestomahi means to set together or to constitute. Here's what he's saying. He is the initiator of creation and he is the adhesive of creation. It, it's impossible for Jesus to not exist, but I want you to hear me. If God made it so that Jesus in this moment did no longer exist at all, this entire universe would fly apart. Because he is the adhesive. He is the glue. He holds all of creation together. And he is the initiator of creation. He is the mechanism through which creation was created. John 1, verses 1 through 3. Again, here's a familiar thing. You're going to hear it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here it is, verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. He is the beginning, the arche in the, in the Greek. He is the commencement, the, the initiation, the, the, the launching pad from which creation left was Jesus. Uh, the, the greatest four words, the, the most powerful four words in the scriptures are the first four. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. What does that mean? That means that God is outside of space and time. Before there was anything, he was there. Before we knew what time it was, when there was no time, he was there. He's before clocks. He's before calendars. He's, 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 he's always been there. He will always be there. By the way, I'm going to say this again. I tried to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith. 
If you can take everything that has happened, everything that science has revealed, and get those two ends to come together without something supernatural, you are lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself. Without a supernatural component, there is no way to make the, the story make sense. Here I am, I've got good news. The, the supernatural component, his name is Yahweh. His name is Jesus. In the beginning, God, he was with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning. He created all things because he is preeminent and he is preexistent. That's who he is because he's sovereign. D, here's an easy one. Jesus is God. Why is he sovereign? Because he's God. He is God, Hebrews 1, verses 3 and 4, says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. I want, to, I want you to get that. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. He goes on to say in verse 4 that He became superior to the angels. Why? Because He has made purifications for sin and sat down at the right hand of God. When He, when he completed His task, Jesus ascended... After the 40 days, he, he died, he rose again, he trained for 40 days, and then he ascended. And when he ascended, he sat down at the place of power and honor, the right side, the right hand of God. And when he did that, he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that there is no doubt that God and Jesus are one. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. He says that he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead, seating, it, seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Where is that? Verse 21, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fulfills all things in every way. Far above who? Everybody. Far above what? Everything. Well, what about these nuclear weapons? Nothing. What about these massive armies? Nothing. What about these diseases and germ warfare? Nothing. What about these calamities and, and, and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars? Listen to me. They're nothing. They're clamoring to get attention, and the sovereign God is looking at them going, stay in your place Know your role and shut your hole. When I tell you to go off, you go off. When I tell you to be quiet, you be quiet. Can you imagine? Listen, you want to see the sovereignty of God in a little snapshot? Go to the, 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 the story of Jesus and his disciples on the water. The, the wind and the waves are crashing. The boat is rocking. They are freaking out. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. Now he's down in the bottom of that boat. He's out like sauerkraut. He is snoozing. He's, he's getting that good, good sleep. And they're freaking out. They lose their mind. They run down to him. They're like, ah! And he goes, ah! And he walks up there. And I just see him like, like just straight walking and go, be still. And everything stops. And he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know why I can do that? Sovereign. You know why I can't do that? Not. I can't make my little 17-pound psychopathic dog hush, much less stop the winds and the waves that are causing him to be psychopathic. Romans 9, 5, Christ, who is God overall. Paul leaves no doubt in the book of Romans. He tells them God and Christ are one. And because Jesus was and is God, nothing he plans or purposes can be stopped, can be thwarted. 
I want you to listen to this. Job 42.2, speaking to God, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. That word thwart is, is, is an interesting word. It means, it means a lot. It's altered, stopped, redirected. It, it can't be touched. It, it's, it's immovable, unstoppable, immutable. The plans of God will be accomplished by God, and there's really nothing that anything can do to stop it or to change it. Why? Sovereign. Can I just tell you, we got a lot of stuff going on. We, we got a lot of stuff going on. We, we, the church is like a duck. Anybody ever seen a duck swimming across a, a little calm pond? Isn't that cool? Like duck just be ducking. <laughs> just chilling, just sliding across that water like it's glass. Like nothing's, nothing's ever disturbed the duck, nothing's bothered the duck. He just, just pimping. Just, just man, just cruising. Y'all ever seen what it looks like underneath the water when a duck's swimming? <laughs> Man, them feet are flopping and flying and kicking and paddling, and, and in the top, he just, hey, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> Down below, just, see, that's the church. See, we come up here on Sunday, and we got our good clothes on. We got our hair did. Got our makeup like we like it. Got our face. Men, we do what we can. Somebody asked me why I grew a beard. I said, if you had this much ugly, you'd do whatever you could to cover it up too. <laughs> but see, we come to church and we just, we're like the duck. We're just chilling. Good morning, brother. Hey, sister. How you doing? Good morning. Now, meanwhile, you done yelled at the kids all the way from the house to the church, to the lot. You threatened all of them through your teeth before you closed. Hey, good morning. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey, good to see you. The enemy is after the church. The enemy is after marriages. The enemy is after families. The enemy is after these young people. The enemy is after our kids. The enemy is attacking in ways that you don't even want to know. And you know why the church can look like the duck? Because we know we serve a sovereign God. So we're going to keep kicking. We're going to keep swimming. We're going to keep trusting. Because no plan of his can be thwarted. And his plan is for the church to be his bride. That one day he will set us out as a perfect bride adorned for her groom. And he will complete what he started in each one of us. Next, E. Jesus predestined and prepurposed. Here we go, Jacob. I'm gonna make you glad you showed up today, buddy. <laughs> let me pre let me predestined. I almost said predestined. Let me preface this predestined per conversation. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Armenian. I I'm a follower of Jesus, trying to figure this out the best I can. So stay with me. Don't don't tune me out. But it's in the scripture. Let me read it for you. Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. In him we also have received an inheritance. Why? Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. We were predestined, proorizo, 
to limit in advance, to predetermine. I don't know how that works. Here's what I know. I know we serve a good God who has a good plan, and he is going to see that plan through to completion. If God is, is, is omniscient, and he is, that means he is all-knowing, he cannot possibly not know what's going to happen. Y'all understand that? So, so maybe it's just that our, our finite minds cannot understand the infinite God and how he could predestine, proorizo, and yet we still have free will. We, we all have to stand before God in judgment. We will be giving account of every idle word that we have ever spoken. If you are a believer, you're still going to be judged. God is still going to talk to you about what you did and how you did it. Everything that you have not asked for forgiveness of is going to come up. If you are lost, you don't have to worry about that. You will already be going to hell for eternity. Uh, either way, you are going to stand in judgment before a holy God. You better quit worrying him as much about how he got to that point of you repenting of your sins and trusting Christ. And you better repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Whether he predetermined that or whether you have free will or somewhere in between, which is where I land, you better get busy on the act of letting go of yourself and taking hold of your cross. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I don't care if that's before, after, or during. I know that he has told us that we have to do that, and that's what I'm going to do. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. To me, that's what predestination means. He has predestined and purposed everything. Nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing can stop his purposes from being fulfilled. We just need to get in line and trust the sovereign. Finally, F. Jesus is the ultimate and unquestioned ruler of the universe. He is the ultimate and unquestioned ruler of the universe. By the way, I would even go so far as to say this. Even the enemy knows he's unquestioned and ultimate. He knows he's lost. He's just not going down without trying to take a bunch of people with him. In Acts 4, I told you we we're going to talk about this. Acts 4 is a really cool chapter. I love that Peter and John have been arrested and they get, they get threatened and, and just a bad night, okay? And they get, they get released. Now, by the way, I, I've never been in jail. Probably should have been. Never been in jail. You know, I don't, I don't like to go to places like Troy and Panama City very often because I'm just not sure I might go to a gas station and see my picture, you know, <laughs> some sketchy drawing. Uh, just kidding, kind of. But when he gets out of prison, he doesn't go run and hide. He goes to a prayer meeting. And in verse 24, they get, they get there and they recognize him and they, they celebrate that they're there. And then what do they do? They pray. You know what the first word they say in that prayer is? I don't know what your translation Some of them are different. My mind says, Master. Now, now by the way, here, here's the interesting part. That word in the Greek is despotes. Despotes. Despot. The literal translation would be despot. Now, here's what you need to understand. A despot is a ruler with absolute power and authority. That sounds kind of like our definition for sovereign, doesn't it? Because that's our earthly, uh, our earthly example of a sovereign of Jesus is despot. Let me give you some examples of some despots that we have seen in history. This is not an inclusive list, but these are some you'll recognize. Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, Idi Amin. These were people who were absolutely in power and had absolute authority over their sphere. Here's the problem with an earthly despot, their flesh. 
you give anybody authority, give anybody that much power, and they're going to mess it up. I don't remember that it was a, a British uh, person who said it. I just can't remember his name right now. But he said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the more power you give a person, the more they're going to mess it up. That's why our Constitution tries to limit the power the government has. Our forefathers knew the more power we gave to the government, the more corrupt our government would become and the more they would abuse that power. Why? Because they knew people. And that's the same with us. The more power and authority you think you have in your life, the more of a mess you are going to make with your life. That's what addiction is really at its core. Addiction tells you that you were in control by seeping control away from you the entire time. And by the way, most of the time you're an addict before you realize it and then it's too late to just step out of it. Then you have to battle it. But these despots, these despotes, if they're earthly, they're corrupt. But thank God we don't have an earthly despot. We have a heavenly despot. Go back to 1 Timothy 6.15. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is our ruler. In the earthly realm, we live in a constitutional republic. In the heavenly realm, we answer to a benevolent dictator. There's not going to be a Supreme Court in heaven. There's going to be God. There's not going to be a president. There's not going to be a house and, and all this. Other stuff. It's going to be God. He is a benevolent dictator. Because he is perfect and he's not flesh, he can rule us and do what's right for us because he is perfect in everything that he does. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason, God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. And we're going to read the rest of that in just a minute. That, that's who God is. God set Jesus up. He gave him a name above every name. He exalted him because he is sovereign and he can do that. So again, sovereignty is my favorite attribute of God because it makes all of his other wonderful attributes immutable and unchangeable. I'm thankful for his grace, his goodness, his justice, his love, his mercy, and all the rest. But I see sovereign as the linchpin. If he was full of mercy and grace, but he wasn't sovereign, then something could take that mercy and grace away from me. If he was, I love that he's holy and righteous and just, but if he wasn't sovereign, what would it matter? Somebody else could come in and take him over, overthrow him, and they could not be merciful and gracious and justice and righteousness and all this. They could be terrible, but they, nothing can stop him. Nothing can change him. Nothing can overthrow him. We get to enjoy all of the other wonderful characteristics about him because of his sovereignty. Now, here's what I try to do. Maybe this is not the easiest way to follow this, but I'll try to give you a summary. To give you a summary, I can't just do the six things we've talked about, the six ways we see Jesus in Zechariah, but I want to give you this. So, And this is not all-inclusive, but just, just lean in here for a minute. We're almost done. Jesus is the firstborn of God, meaning he is first in order, time, place, and rank. He existed in the beginning with God and as God. He was before everything. He was above everything. He both created the universe and he holds the universe together, the initiator and the adhesive of the universe. Now here are these six. He is the branch from Jesse. He is the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. He is the good shepherd who was sold for silver and struck by sinners. He is the sovereign over all creation and therefore I am so thankful that he is my soon coming king. 
We need to get our eyes off of the drama. We need to get our eyes off of the problems. We need to get our eyes off of all the things in this world that are screaming and clamoring for our attention. And we need to focus our attention on our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pick up the rest of that passage from Philippians 2. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I didn't land each one of these sermons with two questions on purpose. It's just kind of where it shook out. But it brings us to two questions for two groups. First of all, those of you that are here without Christ. And listen, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about those of you that are here without a church membership because y'all, y'all do realize there's going to be a lot of people who are members of churches but are not members of the faith. Y'all do realize that, right? That just what you, I've read the end of the book multiple times. Nowhere in the book of Revelation does John see the archangel fly down to all the church offices and get the membership list so that God will know who's getting into heaven. That ain't how that works. What I'm talking about is those of you who have never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And again, I'm not talking about you got some deal with Jesus. Listen, if it ain't in the Bible, it ain't no deal with Jesus. If you haven't fully surrendered to him, you ain't got no deal with him. You're going to be on the other side of the, of the battlefield from him. If you don't know Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ and given your life to him, here's your question. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with him? He is the sovereign. You've got to make a decision. You've got to decide. What am I going to do with this? Am I going to stand on the wrong side of the fence from the sovereign God of creation, the initiator and adhesive of all creation, the preexistent and preeminent Christ? Am I going to stand in opposition to him? Because I'm going to give you a quick summary of how that's going to go for you. Bug and windshield. And you ain't the windshield. If you don't know Christ today, I'm begging you. I'm challenging you. Make a decision. Get off the fence. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with the risen Christ? What will I do with the sovereign God of creation, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Secondly, for those of you who know Christ, those of you that in your heart you know that you have submitted to the Lordship of Christ, you have surrendered to Christ, you, you don't make Him Lord, that's above your pay grade. God has made Him Lord. You accept that. You recognize that. You surrender to the Lordship of Christ. If you have done that, here's your question. What is it that the sovereign God that I serve could call me to do that I would say no to? What is it that the sovereign God of creation could tell me to do that I could tell him no. Here, here's another little spoiler. Whatever you think is on that list, throw the list away. Because he is sovereign, we don't get to question. Because he is sovereign, we don't get to negotiate. Because he is sovereign, we submit. And, and I'm here to tell you, we need some work on our submittance. We need some work on our attitude of submission. Me included. Maybe me first of all. I know he's given me three things to do. They're immutable. They're un, un, unarguable. Love God, love others, and make disciples. 
He may give you another call on top of that. He may call you to full-time ministry. He may call you to be a missionary. He may call you to something else. But those three things the sovereign God has told us to do, if we truly are followers of Jesus, why aren't we doing them? If you don't know Christ, what will you do with Jesus? If you do know Christ, what is it he's calling you to do that you are rejecting? Would you stand? The invitation is fairly simple today. It's just to answer those two questions. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of salvation. If you know, you sense in your spirit that God is telling you that you are lost and you need to repent of your sins and trust Christ, you would be a fool to walk out of this building without doing that. And I say that with all the love that I can muster. That's not a, that's not a derogatory thing. That's just be, me being honest with you. If you know, you know in your heart that you have never submitted to the Lordship of Christ, if you walk out that door and you die, you're going to hell, it would be crazy for you to pass this up. This is the free gift. It was very costly for Jesus. He's made it free for you and I. All we have to do is confess Christ, accept him and follow him, and he'll save us. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself today, what is it he is calling me to do that I am telling him no? Because if he is sovereign, and he is, you don't get that option. I want every person in this room today to answer those questions during our time of invitation. I'm going to say a short prayer when I say amen. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to come make a decision, join our church, all of those things are acceptable. But in this time, I want you to just let those questions resonate, and then I want you to answer those questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this time of worship through song and through, through all the things that we've done today, God, the fellowship, the baptism, the baby dedication. But Lord, most of all, Lord, let us not walk out of this place today without doing business with you. God, I know that, that there are people here that are lost. Just statistically speaking, there are probably people here today who have never truly submitted themselves to Christ. God, I pray that today would be the day they do. I pray that they would stop running today and they would submit to you. God, for those of us who are surrendered, who have given our lives to you, Lord, I pray that you would take away any part of us that would want to reject what you've called us to do. Help our yes to be on the table all the time. And God, if it's not, I pray that you would deal with us on it. Use this invitation time for your glory. God, we give it to you in Christ's name. Amen.